We have your uh, catechism reading there listed there for you. Again, today we're beginning this new catechism service by jumping into the section of the catechism that has to do with the Ten Commandments, with the law, with walking in holiness. And so today our topic is sanctification and good works. A sanctified life will look like a life that is increasingly filled with good works. And uh, we begin this with Lord's Day 32, which is question and answers 86 and 87. Let's read these responsibly. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his spirit into his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits and that he may be praised through us, and further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? By no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, No covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners, conceived and born in sin, unable of ourselves to do any good. But we do repent of our sins and seek your grace to help us in our remaining weaknesses. Through the teaching of your word, which we confess with the church throughout the ages, we ask, Father, that you would satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst with your refreshing truth, that we, with all our hearts, may love and serve you. With our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Over the last few years, people in this community, and I'm assuming people in communities around the country, have begun to put signs up in their yard that just say, be kind. Maybe you've seen those around. Um, That's a good reminder. I certainly don't mind being on a walk with family or driving around town and seeing a sign that reminds me to be kind. Uh, But the question is, why? Why be kind? Some people actually like to not be kind. They enjoy not being kind. They have a a razor tongue and they they like to cut people down. Uh, And for the rest of us, even if we like to be kind, sometimes it's actually hard to be kind because our feelings get in the way. Somebody mistreats us or whatever it happens to be. Why should we be kind? For that matter, why should we do anything that is virtuous, anything that is good? Is it because doing good is just, it's just better? Well, who says? Who says? Again, some people find a lot of satisfaction doing the opposite of doing good. So who's to say that they're not uh, justified in doing that? Should we do good because uh, we ought to expect that to come back to us? So what you, what you sow is what you reap also, that kind of a principle. That very well may be true as well. Um, maybe you believe that the, the kinder you are, the better that you act toward other people, then it'll open up opportunities for you and for your family. It'll come back to you. Or it creates pleasant interactions. It just makes things easier. 
The Christian faith answers this question, why good works, why do good works, with its focus squarely on God. God the Son has redeemed us by his blood and is renewing us by his Holy Spirit. And so we must respond to him with good works. God has done something and we must respond. He has saved us out of our guilt and misery. That's how the catechism opens, the guilt section. He has saved us. That's the the grace section. He has lavished his grace upon us. That's what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. And here now in this section of the catechism, we are taught to respond to this great work of God with gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Let's take a look at this and and try to understand with more clarity why we are to do good works. The first reason is because of a new status. A new status that the Lord has given to us. There is a very important order here. You do good works because you have a new status in God's eyes, not the other way around. God grants you a new status, and it is for that reason that we are to do good works. In other words, you're not saying that you do good works in order to become a new you or to be granted by God a new status. No, we, we do good works because we have a new status. Here's what I mean. In Scripture, there are several places where, uh, especially in the New Testament, where there's a list of vices and sins. Uh, we have a representative example in question and answer 87. And that's just summarizing the kind of lists that we find like we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He asks that question, then he lists this long uh, litany of sinful statuses like drunkards and thieves and so on. And And then he packages all those different statuses up and many others that could be taken from places in Scripture elsewhere, packages it all up and says, unrighteous. That's the real kind of baseline status that defines them all. If you're a drunkard, you're, you're unrighteous. If you're a thief, you're unrighteous. If you're sexually immoral, you're unrighteous. And the unrighteous cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Everyone who sins is unrighteous in God's sight, and the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you see, those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are granted a new status. You're granted a new status. And here's what that status is. Redeemed. Redeemed. He has redeemed you by his blood, the catechism says. He has redeemed you by his blood so that all all of your unrighteousness that constitutes that unrighteous status is swept away by the blood of our Savior. It is sufficient to do this. His blood is sufficient to do this. Paul's dreadful list of sins and vices would truly leave us hopeless if not for this wonderful and comforting word that he goes on to say in verse 11. Having listed off all those terrible unrighteous things, he says, such were some of you, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were that, and now you're not. You've been justified. That is a new status. From unrighteous to redeemed, or from unrighteous to righteous. 
You've been given a new title, a new label, a new status. And that is a legal change. It's as though it has been worked out in the paperwork and God himself has stamped his name upon it. That unrighteous status is gone and you are now redeemed and righteous in God's sight. And it is on that basis that you are to do good works. That's how this section opens in question and answer 86. Because Christ has redeemed us by his blood. You have a new image. Uh, You have a new status, that is. Secondly, you have a new image. A new image. Now then, the answer to question 86 says, Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, which we just covered, is also renewing us by his spirit into his image. We were created in God's image at the very beginning, but sin has stained this image. And without God, that stain is irreparable. It cannot be taken away. It must be taken away by divine intervention. And so just like we need a new status, we also need a new image. Now, there is a difference here. We're not saying the same thing by talking about a new status and a new image. We're talking about two slightly distinct things. Both of these are the work of God's grace. Both of these are benefits which Christ has purchased for you, but they have a distinction. The status change, the status change that we just talked about, that is a one-time deal. Your status is changed when you are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. You have a new status. Like we said, it's a legal change. It's one time. It's an objective thing. You are declared to be righteous and redeemed forever. No one can snatch you out of his hand. And uh, this is often called justification. To be redeemed by the blood of Christ, forgiven of your sins, and called righteous. That new status is called the act of justification. But this renewal of the image of Christ is an ongoing and lifelong work of the Holy Spirit to make you more like Jesus Christ. And this is often called sanctification. You could say that one of, the, one of the main reasons why the Protestant Reformation had to happen and why we were given things like this catechism is because of confusion over this very point. You are not declared righteous by God only if you have gotten yourself to be righteous through good works. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. You are declared to be righteous by grace alone through faith alone. And what then God does over time is he renews you from the inside out. And that, then you are able to do good works in response to this wonderful work of God. That's sanctification. And what we're talking about here is that distinction between justification, the one-time deal, and sanctification, the ongoing. It is an ongoing process by which the Holy Spirit forms the inward person. That's the language of Ephesians. The inward person is being formed into the image of Christ. Paul says, it is my hope that through all of our preaching, what would result is that Christ would be formed in you. The image of Christ. But it takes a long time. And if you're honest with yourself, then you already knew that. You already knew that it takes a long time. 
to be formed into the image of Christ. So that distinction is very important, but it is also easy to forget. We can get tripped up by theological terminology like justification and sanctification. So we have to hammer these things home. Let me try to demonstrate the importance here. You're hearing me today and you hear preachers say that your sins are totally forgiven. You're forgiven. Sounds pretty great. But you know you're going to go back out there this week and just rebel and sin against God again. Thought, word, and deed. You will not actually be inclined toward God as you ought to be. Jesus says you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Not going to happen this week. Not with your behavior. You're going to sin. You're going to sin. Uh, what are you going to do with all that sin? You know you've hated your coworker in your heart. You know you've lashed out against your spouse. You know you haven't been fully honest with your neighbor. What are you going to do with this new uh, guilt, the debt that you now have, have uh, built up throughout the week? Kids, this very week, I bet you will be tempted to rebel against your parents. I bet you will disobey your parents. Maybe you'll even fight with your siblings or your friends. These are sinful things. You've heard me say that you're forgiven, but you're going to go on sinning. What are you going to do with all this? What are you supposed to do? Well, what you're supposed to do is remember your justification. You have been redeemed by the blood. You were these things, Paul says. Such were some of you. Your status is now objectively forever different. You're righteous. You're redeemed. It's done. It's done. Do you act like it? Not always. No. Not always. So you must also be renewed from the inside. You are righteous in God's sight forever. And no sin is going to suddenly undo that gracious work. We we cannot live a joyful or free Christian life, let alone abound in good works. If we feel like there's some invisible threshold during the week, that if we cross over it with our sins, that new status is gone. How can you live in joy and in comfort thinking that maybe I'm going to finally mess up bad enough and lose the status? God will not send his son to die on the cross, shed his infinite blood, apply it to you, and then withhold If you've been redeemed by his blood, you are righteous in his sight forever, but you are also being sanctified. The inward work of God. And it is ongoing, and your your own life testifies to the fact that it is ongoing. It's a process. You have not yet reached perfection. You are still being renovated within. And you sin daily for that reason. You have a new status. Christ is being formed in you so that you are being made into his image, making you more and more like him. It just takes time. It takes more than that. It takes the word. It takes faith, reliance on the Holy Spirit. But it also takes time. It is a process. Now, that's the key difference we're talking about here. What must that, actual, what must that new image actually look like? What form will it take in your life? Well, it must begin to look like an obedient life, a life that is filled with good works. And you see, it must, it it truly must begin to show itself in a life of good works. 
Because these are the two great benefits that the Lord Jesus offers to us. He does not offer justification and then justify and then lapse on the other stuff. As though obedience is something he's not concerned about. He gives us both. The new status and the new image within. Uh, And so this, our third and last point this morning, it gives us new motivations. This work of God gives us new motivations. The Catechism very helpfully here shows us four motivations from Scripture for why we are to do good works. And here is the absolute top reason. This is prioritized by the Catechism. It says, so that with our whole lives, we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits. There's that gratitude again. You, your works on the last day will in no way contribute to that great declaration of righteousness. You know, that declaration has already been done and your works had nothing to do with it. Okay? Uh, but works will show whether or not you've truly grasped the grace of God towards you in Jesus Christ because you'll want to say thank you. And you'll want to say thank you with your whole life so that with our whole lives, question and answer 86 says, we will show that we are thankful to God for his benefits. Prophet Jeremiah spoke to the exiled Israelites. He told them of this day to come when their fortunes would be restored. They've been kicked out of the land, but their fortunes will be restored. And that in response to this, they will offer thanks to their gracious Lord. That's what we read about in Jeremiah 33. They'll be restored. They'll come back. They'll give thanks to God. And brothers and sisters, that day of restoration has come. In Jesus Christ, he's restored the fortunes of his people. He's given us Jesus Christ. He's made us to partake of his kingdom. The the people of God have been restored. And so we must give thanks. He's redeemed us by his blood. He's renewing us inwardly by his Holy Spirit. So we must give thanks with our whole lives. There are other motivations also for doing good. Motivation number two says, so that he may be praised through us. So that he may be praised through us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 21, Paul says that Christ has purchased you, therefore glorify God with your body. So we, we tend to think of worship as a spiritual act, a kind of a work of the soul. That's true. But you are to give your whole self, body and soul, to the worship and glorifying of Almighty God. We do good works so that God would receive worship. They are to be offered to him in worship of his holy name. Motivation number three for doing good works. It says, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits. This is a really wonderful motivation to have. It cannot be the primary one. If you want to, you know, we struggle with assurance throughout our lives. We go through seasons of of doubt about whether or not the Lord actually loves us. And it is, uh, it's not healthy to constantly look to your own works to see whether or not you're acting like a Christian. But it is healthy to do that sometimes. You ask yourself a diagnostic question. Uh, I know I'm a sinner, but am I striving for holiness? Do I actually love God's word? Uh, though I rebel, and though my heart is, is still sometimes recalcitrant and, and I, 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 I don't want to do what he says, do I... In my heart of hearts, in the inward person, do I truly actually want to obey his will? 
And uh, how am I doing this? Am I putting sin and malice to death in my home? Am I loving my coworkers the way that, that I ought to? Am I looking out for number one? Or am I treating others as of equal importance as me? These kinds of questions can be helpful for saying there is something there. The Lord is working within. And you may be assured of your faith by its fruits. And lastly, there's a fourth motivation. That by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. While it is true that the word of God is what brings faith and salvation to a person, it's the word, our deeds are the powerful preparation that can begin to win people over when they would otherwise be hardened to the word of God. How often, how often have you heard the accusation that the church is filled with hypocrites? That's like the number one thing. Well, I don't go to church because you're all a bunch of hypocrites. Guilty as charged. <laughs> yes, we are. Because we are wicked sinners. We're still inclined toward all evil. It's one of the many sins that Christ's blood alone saves us from. But when we strive to live godly lives, when we strive to be ethical and upright and above reproach in all of our various spheres of life, God is often pleased to use this godliness to attract others. Think of a bird feeder. You know, there's nectar inside of a bird feeder, and that's what the bird needs, needs the nectar. But it's not going to hurt if you decorate that bird feeder and put attractive colors on it that you know is attractive to certain types of birds. It's something similar with your good works. People need the word of God to be saved. And your works can be used by God to attract them to this word. Do not put unnecessary stumbling blocks in the way of unbelievers by persisting in hypocritical behavior. For brothers and sisters, you have been redeemed. You've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You have a new status. And now, be patient while the Holy Spirit is working Christ within, in that new image. Day by day, you're being renewed in the image of Christ. So now, redeemed and renewed, both justified and being sanctified, offer your whole lives to God in gratitude. Amen. Let us pray. Glorious and merciful Father, we give you thanks for having established your covenant with believers and their children. For as you have told us, the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This promise you have not only signified and sealed by holy baptism, but daily you prove by perfecting your praise through the mouths of children and so putting to shame the wise and understanding of this world. Continue to establish your saints in this faith throughout their lives. And so give us the grace to inwardly digest the food you have given us and to instruct our children in your knowledge and fear until they have reached, and we with them, complete maturity. All of this we ask in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.